uh, we should have just done the outro. We should have just done the outro. You know what? Um, let's just, hey, Ryan. Yep. No, say, hey, Rob. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> we have to, we can't break from tradition, man. <laughs> All right, do it again. Hey, Ryan. What? I <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, go ahead. Here we go. Look, do so you want to be here all night or not? I know. Come on. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything about assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, my name happens to be Rob Minot, and uh, joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. I'm back. I think I've said that 251 times now. Well, there's probably one or two I wasn't here for. Oh yeah, that's right. You did. Yeah, that's true. That's Not true. many, but, but the hey, my, I wonder. I did. I I know. I think I missed one. I think I've missed one episode. Yeah. I don't think I. I don't recall if I've ever missed more than that. Yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know. You, I know you missed one that I had to do on my own, but I don't know of any others. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Anyways, dedication. Hey. That's right. Commitment. Um, what uh, what's shaking over there? Well, it's warming up again here. We're thirty degrees today again, and a little warmer tomorrow. They're saying while we're recording this, but it's all right. We'll take it because soon enough we'll be bitching that it won't stop raining. So, oh, you know what? I'm never going to bitch about raining. Fine, <laughs> <laughs> rain now. Yeah, I ask you again in October. Two heat waves. <laughs> That we've had so far and now we're into our third uh have convinced me that has just broken me of that habit of of complaining about <laughs> clouds bring it on uh, i'm ready for right. the rain it's coming it's coming no they say that i i read somewhere that the farmers all according to the farmer's almanac uh we're gonna have a cold winter so that'll be great yeah i saw a headline that environment canada has released its prediction for our fall but i didn't dig any deeper into it yet so yeah, no, I think I think we're supposed to get a really cold winter. So you know, mm. super hot summer, super cold winter. We're just effed. Well, we? yeah, we we humans, you know, we're not very good when we inhabit a place. Yeah, well, you know, that's why we're the working first, on Mars. The first right? one, you have to give it, give it, give us a little leeway. <laughs> it was the first try. F <laughs> it up. <laughs> You'd think we'd have learned by now, but everybody no. gets a second chance. Yeah, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Man, you're 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 cynical today. Ah, uh, well, that's just who I am. That's my identity. That's my pronoun. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that bastard. That's what can we? Okay, you're funny. Okay, well, because <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about what we're doing today. All right. Well, today we are talking with Dennis Barron, who is a professor of English and linguistics and author of the best-selling book, What's Your Pronoun? Beyond He and She. Yeah, so I guess I, I guess we should set this up a little bit because there's probably a segment of our audience going, you're talking about what? <laughs> that was me. Hi. <laughs> yep. uh, no, yeah, we thought, uh, you know, this is this has come up before on the podcast for whatever reason. We, I don't know, I think we just, we just started talking about pronouns um you know, on one episode and you got it in your head that you were gonna get somebody on the show to talk a little bit about it and so i thought this is a, this is a good idea um i think it's a good opportunity for us to learn and um it doesn't specifically tie into disability but it certainly ties into inclusion and you know we want we inclusion and accessibility are both uh very important aspects of the show so uh yeah i think that that's how how I see it tying into the show. So um, I'm excited for this conversation. Well, you know, like you said, I was curious about what this pro whole pronoun thing was. You know, I keep seeing people on Twitter posting their pronouns, him and his and her and hers and she and whatever else. And I was just like, what is all this? What's this about? Where is this coming from? And so, you know, doing a little bit of research, you know, we, we found Dennis, we having him on the show to talk about it. Um, currently I'm, I'm about to start reading his book, so it'll be interesting. I think it's an interesting topic and, you know, like you say, it's nothing related to assistive technology, but you know, we are about inclusivity, diversity, and people do have their particular way of wanting to be identified. And that goes for the same if you're blind or partially sighted, you know, people have said to me before when they're introducing me, you know, this is Ryan, he's visually impaired. Well, I'm not visually impaired. I'm blind. Impairment to me means that there's some vision there, but my vision isn't perfect. Right. Yeah. So again, it's an identity thing and yeah. we all have a choice to make and how we want to be identified and more power to them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really curious. I, I did a little bit of, uh, of reading as well, um, coming into this and I'm really surprised that just some of the things that I've learned, uh, that I won't spoil, I won't spoil for the, the listeners, but, uh, it's going to be a good conversation. I think that, uh, no matter what, uh, what dog you feel that you have in the race, um, in terms of, and you know it shouldn't even be a debate that's the sad thing about this i feel like th this is a a debate that's going on but it really shouldn't be uh this should just be we should just change like change for a lot of people i think change is scary and and especially with things that you don't may not understand or that don't affect you um but that's no reason to fight against change so um i think that um I think it's a good learning experience for all of us. Well, why don't we bring him on? Joining us now is Dennis Barron. Dennis, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to join us today. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Rob. Oh, it, it's, this is such a big discussion, I don't even know where to start. But maybe we could just uh, start off a little bit and just tell us a little bit about, about who you are and, and what you do and some of your credentials. 
Okay, well, I, I am a um, professor of English and linguistics uh, emeritus, which means I'm retired, at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I spent pretty much all of my academic career at Illinois, and my specialty is... Uh, history of the English language, and I focus on the impact of language on issues of, of current concern, like technology, like law, and in, in the present case, uh, pronouns. And the pronoun um, thing and uh, the issue of language and gender, in general, something I've been looking at for, you know, maybe 40 years or more, but um, it resulted a couple of years ago in, in this book called What's Your Pronoun, and uh, was significantly aided by uh, all the newspapers that have uh, <clears throat> been archived online for the 18th and 19th century uh, in the last uh, five or 10 years. So, so there's a huge um, database out there that it used to be very difficult to consult because you'd have to depend on microfilms and crumbling paper copies in library basements and all kinds of stuff like that. So yeah, it's interesting. That's the reason I wanted to reach out to you is, you know, being totally blind, I've been seeing, especially on Twitter for probably the last year, year and a half of people using their pronouns, he, she, her, hers, and so on. Right. And I'm like, what is this all about? Like, why are people doing this now? Because I had no idea what this is, what this was. And so I did a little bit of research and, and found you and found your book. And just a little plug, I bought your book last night, the audiobook. started reading it this morning. Um, and a side note, did you do a word count on how many times you used the word he, she, or pronoun <laughs> in that book? Because <laughs> it's a lot. a lot. No, I, I, I didn't. And I, I have to admit that I have not listened to the audio book. They, they sent me a link to it, but um, since I didn't record it, they hired an actor yeah. to, to do it some... Uh, I looked up his credits. Apparently he had a minor role on Star Trek. So, oh, cool. uh, yeah, it's an interesting discussion. And so that, you know, like I said, that's why we wanted to reach out to you because yeah. we are seeing more and more of these pronouns being used. And I'm sure there's people out there like myself who have no idea where all this came from. So here we are. So, yeah. And I mean, it, it, it came from, I mean, the current discussion, I, I, I think really is tied up with the prominence uh, in the last few years of gender issues, issues of inclusivity for uh, people who identify as non-binary or, or gay or lesbian or trans or gender non-conforming. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ways of identifying now uh, in, in terms of gender that the, were not part of the discussion. It's not that they didn't exist. It's that um, we weren't using um, kind of language that has developed to, to talk about these issues. They weren't as big of a public concern as they 
have become in the last decade or so. And so along with that has has sprung up this interest in, okay, so if you are non-binary or you have to refer to someone who is non-binary, that's great. But what uh, what happens is that the English pronoun system doesn't have an exact term, an exact pronoun uh, to identify someone who is neither male nor female or both or somewhere not on a, a binary, but on some other sort of gender scale. And so people have been coining pronouns or recovering them from the past. It turns out that the issue of there not being what in the past was called a common gender pronoun. And uh, in the 20th century, we started using the term gender neutral and more recently, gender non-conforming or non-binary pronoun. This discussion began in the late 18th century when people started saying, hey, if, I, if I'm talking about a person and their name is gender ambiguous or I don't even know their first name uh, and I need a pronoun to refer to them, I don't want to insult them by using the wrong pronoun. If I, I, I refer to a woman with the masculine pronoun or a man with the feminine pronoun, uh, that that could they could be insulted, they could be hurt. They, uh, you know, if I'm trying to sell them something, I'm trying to establish some kind of relationship with them, it could offend them. And I don't want to do that. And or what if I'm talking about um, a category of people like uh, a writer or a student, uh, and we want to generalize, and they they could be either male or female. Uh, you, you don't want to say the writer he because that excludes the women who write or the student she because that excludes the male students. So uh, in the 1770s, 1780s, people started saying, hey, we need a pronoun. There isn't one. Um, do we, uh, people are using singular they in those instances. Um, hey, somebody left their book here. Uh, I hope they come back for it. Well, somebody is singular, they is plural. And in the 18th century, English speakers had become more self-conscious about using what they felt was correct grammar. So if somebody is singular and they is plural, uh, they say, well, that's, that's grammatically incorrect. Um, but pronouns are supposed to match in gender and number with uh, the noun that they're referring to. Uh, somebody left his book. Well, what if somebody is actually a she? Uh, somebody left her book. Well, what if somebody is a he? Using one of the gender pronouns as a generic doesn't isn't grammatical either because it, it may satisfy the requirement that number accord uh, has, there has to be a fit a singular pronoun, singular noun, but there also has to be a gender concord, masculine noun, masculine pronoun, feminine noun, feminine pronoun. So uh, if singular they doesn't do it in terms of number, uh, how about I invent a pronoun? So people started uh, in the 19th century to invent pronouns. They started, uh, well, what about the first, the earliest one I found was 
actually invented in 1841. Before that, people said, well, let's take a word like one or that or which and or who and use that as a pronoun too. But by the mid 19th century, people were inventing new pronouns, coining new pronouns. So in 1841, a doctor coined the pronouns E, S, and M, just capital E, E, S, and E, M. And uh, he called them masculo-feminine, using a kind of Latin-sounding word that meant either male or female. And nobody took him up on that in the 1860s, 1870s, 1880s. A lot more pronouns started to appear in newspapers. Somebody would write in and say, hey, I got a great idea. We've got a missing pronoun. Uh, how about how about um, ip or how about heesh or how about hisser and himmer uh, or how about um, um, things like that. And in 1884, uh, these were not all crackpots either. Some, some of them were well-known writers, well-known uh, professional people. Uh, in 1884, a very famous American hymn writer, Charles Converse, coined the pronoun thon, T-H-O-N. And he said, uh, I got it by blending that and one and it should be pronounced thon, and it's a great time saver. He believed that, uh, he was also an attorney, that time is money, and by, uh, instead of having to say he or she, if you said thon, uh, it saves time. It's more efficient. You don't risk insulting a person by using the wrong pronoun. It's inclusive rather than exclusive. And that actually got a lot of publicity. And people said, oh, what a great idea. Let's try it out. Other people said, I don't like thon. How about eel or, or le or something else? So they, they had, I got a better idea of pronouns. And there was a whole discussion uh, flourishing in the 1880s about which pronoun to pick. And in 1912, the superintendent of the Chicago Public Schools, the first woman to, to lead the school system, proposed um, heesh, himmer, and hisser, or here, himmer, and hisser. And uh, that got a lot of publicity in the newspapers. And it turned out that somebody had actually invented that paradigm a year before in 1911, and she kind of stole it from him. She got most of the credit for it, and uh, there was a lot of publicity. People started using it. People started complaining about it. Every time somebody coined a pronoun that drew attention, there was a lot of resistance to it as well. And then it gets revived in the 1970s, the quest for this missing word. And now, again, in the early 2000s, you start seeing people looking for a word again and settling on either singular they or a coined pronoun. It's, yeah. it's so fascinating, um, the, the historical aspect of this, because I think for a lot of people, we feel like this has sort of come out of come out of left field and yeah. is a new phenomenon. 
But um, I find it fascinating that, you know, this is all stuff that's that seems to go through a cycle. Mm -hmm. And we've had this conversation before. Um, exactly. Exactly. And the new wrinkle is the issue of non-binary gender rather than a pronoun that includes both sexes. Now we're looking for pronouns that include more than two sexes or genders. So having studied this for so long, and, and maybe this sort of gets into the, the psycho, psychosocial aspect of it, but why is it, do you think that that pronouns are such a hot topic that people get so passionate about it because mm -hmm. really that's what i've been noticing in this current discourse is that <laughs> no matter what side you come down on they're you're very passionate about it Hell why do yeah. you think that is I, I i've actually thought about this issue because yeah why it's easy to say why now because there's a kind of moment in the conversation where people are talking about multiple issues surrounding gender and inclusivity and you know rights what you know uh, protecting you know what are the protected categories in terms of anti-discrimination can can someone be discriminated against if they're trans and or does the law protect them and, and and things like that. And so the pronouns have become part of that discussion, but in a way they have come to symbolize the whole of that discussion. Uh, pronouns do uh, reflect identity issues. So for example, uh, if you know if 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 you are uh, talking about the first person plural pronoun we use we so does that what what does we mean when somebody says we are they identifying a group that is exclusive you know who who qualifies as being one of us uh, are they using it to separate uh, uh, a sort of group of, of people from a bunch of outsiders. It becomes a kind of boundary marker. Well, look at the second person pronoun. In, in many languages, it, it's not the case currently in English, but it, it was at one time. There is a distinction between the polite and the intimate second person pronoun. So in, in Spanish and French and German, uh, for example, uh, if uh, you use the familiar second person pronoun when you're talking to a family member, when you're talking to a, a good friend, when you are talking to someone who is significantly lower than you in status, it becomes a social marker as well as a, as a, a sense of inclusion or exclusion. And the polite form you use in a language that distinguishes, you know, intimate and polite or familiar and polite, you use the polite form for someone who's higher in rank, for someone you've just been introduced to, for uh, uh, someone who's older, you know, to honor, you know, the, the, the senior citizen kind of thing, or someone who is significantly more powerful. So this used to be the case in English, and uh, we had the familiar pronoun thou, thee, and thy, 
and the polite pronouns were ye and you. In the 17th century, you started taking <clears throat> over all the other functions of the pronouns. It, it, it began as a plural pronoun. It started functioning as a singular. And now it's both singular and plural, and nobody bats an eyelash. Nobody says, oh, you can't call one person you because you is a plural pronoun. And so, you know, that's grammatically incorrect. We just forgot that whole battle because that was over a couple of centuries ago. But in the 17th century, when singular you started to appear, there were complaints. It was ungrammatical. You can't, you can't use you for one person. It's just unheard of. Look at all these other languages where uh, you is plural and there's a separate second person pronoun for the singular. And so you know, anybody who objects to singular they as grammatically inaccurate, you point out, well, then singular you has got, which is even newer than singular they, is grammatically inaccurate as well. Singular they, singular they in English goes back to the 14th century. That's a pretty long history. That's about as long as we have records for, for the TH forms of pronouns in English. And so almost as soon as the TH pronoun they was borrowed from Old Norse into English, uh, it became uh, possible to use as a singular as well as a plural. So when you look back at these things historically and you and you look at sort of these touch points when a lot of the, these changes were were being proposed and implemented, do you find that a lot of times you can you can pinpoint specific types of social change that was going on in that particular society at that time that sort of influenced these changes or like can we see a pattern of, of what's going on when these changes are being pitched? Yeah, the, the, it, it happens in the 18th century. Uh, one of the reasons why people were so concerned with correct usage, which they hadn't really been before, had to do with the changing place of English on the world scene. So English starts off as a little used, little known language uh, spoken by uh, people on an island off the coast of Europe who are more or less inconsequential. Then in the 16th, 17th century, Eng England starts to become a major naval power. It starts to accumulate colonies around the world. In the 18th and 19th century, Eng England starts to become an industrial power as well as a military and political power. And so with the growing footprint of English, of England around the world, the language spoken by the English gets put to more uses. Uh, it used to be even in the 16th and part of the 17th century, that if you had, if you were an English writer and you had something important to say, you wrote it in Latin. But more and more, and half of half of what um, Isaac Newton wrote in his major scientific discoveries, he wrote in Latin. More and more, people started putting that kind of writing into English, 
And so English was growing in status and in stature, uh, along with, uh, you know, the growing profile of England itself. And so, you know, it's, a, it's an economic, political dynamic that's pushing language into these roles. And people started to say, well, if, if English is becoming so widespread and so important, there's a demand uh, from non-English speakers for material so they can learn English. There's a, a concern among English speakers that we ought to somehow tame the language to make it even more respectable and figure out some rules to apply. And so you start seeing in the 18th century all these grammar books and usage books telling people who were, you know, sort of entering the middle class, the upper middle class in England, getting sort of economic power and political power, how to speak and write using a language that was suitable for their new elevated status. And so you started seeing all these, you know, artificial rules springing up, like you can't end a sentence with a preposition or, uh, you know, singular they is, is uh, ungrammatical or, uh, you know, all, all, all kinds of things like that. And people were buying these books. There was a market for them. There was an increase in literacy among the population. More and more people were learning to read and write. More and more people were getting some kind of formal education. So that has that was changing too. And so that meant you needed more textbooks for this increased number of students. And the textbooks are all telling students how to do how to tell right from wrong, how to do the right kind of language, how to do the right kind of history, how to do the right kind of mathematics, things like that. And so all these converge to, to you know, give a kind of attitude toward correctness in speech and writing that never existed in English before. Yeah, and that's so interesting, too, because it sounds like a lot of the, the pushback that these movements would have had in the past, it sounds like it was around things like um, proper grammar or exactly. know, um, whereas today, I really feel like the, 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 the disagreement and even the discourse itself is, is very political or, mm -hmm. or social, and it's, it's really not about grammar but so so historically though was it was it was the grammatical opposition to some of this stuff was that driven by things like socioeconomics or oh uh, absolutely it, it it was absolutely a, a status thing and it was a way of sort of labeling who was in and who was out who was acceptable in terms of society and who was beneath you, right? So language became a kind of marker for that. I mean, you have a lot of pressure today uh, to uh, speak uh, what people identify as standard English to get a good job, to get respect, to, to go on the air, 
for the longest time, the BBC would not hire any announcers who had regional accents because they claimed listeners didn't want to didn't want to hear that. Uh, they wouldn't hire women announcers because they claimed listeners didn't want to hear a woman's voice. It had less authority. Uh, all of that was just rubbish. It was just a way of you know identifying who you were favoring and who you were excluding from these positions. And uh, it was a kind of discrimination based on language use. And what happened was when, when people who were from areas where there was a, uh, an accent that was somehow different from the radio standard wanted a job, they, they uh, worked to eliminate their accent. It didn't work very well because there were still prejudice if you came from Yorkshire, even if you spoke in a standard English pronunciation. They were less likely to hire you in London just because you weren't from, you didn't go to the right school. You know, they find some other reason to discriminate against you. Uh, so it's, it's a standard for, for a more general kind of discrimination. Uh, uh, one of the things you hear today is that, well, if you immigrate to a country that's English speaking, uh, you must speak, learn to speak the language without an accent and correctly. Otherwise, you won't succeed economically. But as, as, as survey after survey reveals even those uh, non-first language English speakers who, who pick up English and manage to, to um, speak without some kind of um, foreign accent, uh, something identified as a foreign accent, they, there are still ways that employers will find to discriminate against them. They'll find some other reason not to hire them. Well, you've got a, an ethnic sounding name, so we can't hire, you know, but they won't say that. They'll just look for some other reason. So, you know, doing what, what uh, all the rules say you should be doing is not a guarantee. It's, it's not a... a, a, a uh, a magic recipe for so social and economic success. It can help, but it won't necessarily help. It's not necessarily worth the effort. And you lose a lot in terms of your you know, self-image and how you think about things uh, if, you, if you buy into that. It must be really interesting having studied this for years and just watching, you know, the, the, the different changes that we've been going through in terms of um, inclusion and diversity. Did you kind of look at all of this social change and be able to see this, this new um, influx of, of pronouns coming? Like, was it a surprise to you that this, these conversations started happening? I didn't predict it. I didn't predict it at all. Um, actually, it, it, what, what, because I was really looking at pronouns in the past uh, rather than it, in the present. I began noticing that people were putting pronouns in, uh, in their emails, uh, on their business cards or on their conference name tags and things like that or, you know, introducing themselves uh, in person and saying, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so, these are my pronouns. And uh, I noticed that some of those pronouns were 
coined pronouns. And I noticed that a lot of these people seem to think that these, this was a new thing to have these coined pronouns. And I knew from the work I had done 40 years ago that there were, was, were all these efforts in the 19th century and the early 20th century to coin pronouns. And I suddenly saw what was driving this, this new interest in them, uh, because it uh, obviously coincided with other discussions about gender issues in the present that were somewhat different from gender issues in the past, which were basically women's rights issues, uh, then gay rights issues, and now trans rights issues. So that kind of progress uh, it suddenly occurred to me, well, the pronouns are tracking that. Yeah, and I think that what's really interesting about this particular time in history, of course, is what the what the big game changer is, is, of course, the, the presence of the Internet and social mm -hmm. media. Um, these types of ideas can spread a lot quicker, I'm assuming, than they ever could before. Sure. Can you speak a little bit about that and, and just like, can we compare this particular periods, pronoun usage, and, and past. You're, you're absolutely right that the, uh, the internet makes communication so much more widespread and also so much more public that uh, the discussion reaches a lot more people this way uh, through internet, through social media, through internet news stories through websites that uh, specialize in, or report on uh, gender issues. And uh, you just see a lot more discussion going on in larger and larger groups, whereas in the past you would discuss something uh, like pronoun preference or gender issues with your friends. Uh, or people you corresponded with uh, by mail and, and, or tele on telephone, very traditional means of communication pre-internet. But one of the things I did notice in the 1970s was that one group of people that was seriously interested in these coined pronouns were people interested in science fiction. Uh, because a lot of uh, the science fiction writers were creating new societies uh, on new planets where people did not necessarily match the gender <clears throat> categories that we have on Earth. And they were uh, the writers felt free to invent non-gendered civilizations or civilizations that were all female or all male or or had some other uh, kind of gender configurations that were different. And they would just freely create pronouns in these new universes that they were creating. Uh, and there was a lot of early online discussion in these communities about pronoun use in, in the science fiction world. And so that even, even before the sort of uh, gay rights, trans rights issues uh, started uh, online discussion. I think the sci-fi people were keeping this issue alive and bringing it to the public in, in ways that uh, print media had not done before that. 
I, I think the big takeaway from this and, and what's going on right now is to, to put these things in historical perspective. And remember that, you know, for all these people that, you know, don't like these new wave of pronouns because, you know, the, the ones that we have work just fine and, and are, are like sort of the quote, normal pronouns. What you need to, to remember when you look back historically is that we didn't, we didn't always use the, the pronouns that we would now deem normal. There was a time when then you, that using what we would deem normal now was completely out of the, the ordinary uh, previously. Absolutely. I mean, language changes and people forget that. Uh, and they think, you know, something they haven't seen before has got to be brand new. Well, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's got a history. And so what I like to do is to try to fill in some of that history to help us explain what's going on now, uh, which is, you know, evolves from previous discussions, but is also different from those previous discussions. It, it's, you know, everything new is old again, or the other way around. And also, everything new is also new. So from your perspective in, in having studied this for so long, what's your sort of takeaway from the current discourse? Do you, do you get the sense that we're pretty much discussing this as we would have 300 years ago uh, and and this is going to pretty much end up in, in the same place or do you feel like this there, there's something new about about this time around where i don't know these these pronouns will eventually work their way into the lexicon and and oh yeah, yeah de definitely uh, they're here to stay uh at least in the short term so what is is going on now is that attention is being drawn to pronoun issues. Pronouns are becoming a stand-in. They're becoming a symbol for sort of gender revolution or resistance to that gender revolution. So you'll, you'll see comments on Twitter and, and other social, social media by people who reject pronouns saying, oh, I can't be friends with you, you use pronouns. Uh, I mean, I've seen a number of posts where, where people are saying that, you know, uh, if you use pronouns, I'm going to block you. And uh, the irony there, of course, is, is, is that these pronoun resistors are using pronouns. <laughs> but what they mean is if you're using these gender non-binary pronouns, then I'm, I'm going to I've got a problem with with you. But, you know, I is a pronoun. You is a pronoun. Uh uh, you can't speak a language without using pronouns very easily, but they're just, they're just, you know, the pronoun is now carrying a lot of weight that it never used to for that matter. And, and people are sort of, uh, you know, who, who, who are supporting uh, non-binary pronoun use or wanting to make it more widespread, more acceptable uh, are also using it to say, well, you know, when, when they, when they say my pronouns are that elevates pronouns to more than a part of speech, more than a, you know, a, a corner of the grammatical universe that people figured, well, I'm done with school. I don't have to worry about pronouns anymore. And here they are suddenly back in our consciousness that my pronouns are this, that, and the other, they're, they're, they're elevating pronouns again to, uh, 
here's part of my identity that I would like you to uh, to recognize and to accept. Well, listen, the name of the book, What's Your Pronoun? Beyond He and She. Uh, we will certainly include uh, the link in the show notes. Uh, highly recommended. Dennis, I want to thank you again so much for joining us and explaining some of this stuff. Okay, well, it's been great, Rob and Ryan, talking to you. All right, Absolutely. sir. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Thanks, okay, Dennis. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. I have no idea the history behind pronouns and why we're seeing it all over social media now, you know? Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, that certainly answers your question about, you know, uh, why, what's going on? Why is this happening kind of a thing? Well, like I mentioned earlier, and like I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm currently reading the book and the book's going to go into all of this as well. So I'm going to come out the other side of the book knowing a, a whole lot more than I knew going in for sure. Yeah, well, I li- yeah, I'm an English major, so I'm. A, I know this kind of this I'm, the nerd part of me is kind of like was kind of digging that. This is super interesting because um, it is like the historical element is is really it puts things into context in a way that you don't have because we forget that you know there were other eras. There was an era when, like you said, uh, people were using he for everything. Yeah, she wasn't even used, you know, and that was a big deal when. You know, she as a pronoun started being used. Like people didn't like that. It's change. Well, and you know, we've all, we've well, I, I won't say we've, but I have gotten pretty sloppy when it comes to using proper English grammar. Right? I don't think about it. I say what I say. I write how I write, and I don't even take a second glance at it most of the time. So there's there's a proper way of doing things and going forward you know if we want to be inclusive we want to be sensitive to other people then you know we need to kind of open our eyes wake up to the new world and you know take notice yeah well the interesting part about that is that um language used to very much be tied to class right and grammar like grammar used to be a really big deal because it was tied to your your stand your social standing right in a way that it's just not now like people don't care like well people look at the text messaging we have kids you can't spell we have kids you can't read or write and that's always been a thing but i think you know the whole social media texting internet worldwide web has made a lot of people sloppy and lazy right yeah it just doesn't hold the the weight anymore we have different ways of measuring socioeconomic status now that have nothing to do with grammar so that part of it is sort of out of the equation um, for us, um, I think that a lot of this stuff is tied is is more tied politically right. than anything else. I think that the people that come down on either side of this really hard, it, it's more about about politics than anything else. Like the left versus the right. Oh, you libs, you libs in your pronouns, and right. you, oh, you, you know, whatever alt right Nazi bigot. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just, it, it's all about, it's all, well, it's, it shouldn't, I shouldn't say it's all about that, but there is that part of it um, that those sides, I think, use the pronouns as, as sort of fodder in these culture wars that we're going on sure. right now. Um, but I think at the end of the day, yeah, it's about, it's about labels. It's about identity. And I think that that's why people really get passionate about it. Um, is because yeah, identity is important and being included is important. So, so it's all stemming from.
There you go. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. Hey, where can they find Steve? Steve is out in the ocean. Yeah, He's exactly. playing with SpongeBob. <laughs> no, wait. Yeah, he probably is. Um, yeah, he's out fishing. I wonder if he has. Have you heard? Has he caught anything yet? Oh yeah, he's caught a couple salmon. At least a couple salmon. He posted pictures up on Instagram. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah, I think check. I think it's on the. I don't know if he's got a personal Instagram page or a Canastic page, but search for Steve Barkley on Instagram. You'll find him. Or don't tell people that he's going to be so mad at Go find him and troll. Him. Go, go. He loves talking about uh, politics. Oh, well, that's what you get for leaving. Yeah. Go own Steve the lid <laughs> <laughs> at Steve Barkley on Instagram. Uh, no, actually, I don't know that that's his username. Anyways, uh, uh, where are we? They can also find us. And Steve on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And they can also email cowbell at atbanter.com. Man, we effed all that up, didn't we? <laughs> we got okay. it in. Whatever. Changed it up. <laughs> we Changed got it, it in. Up. It's all good. Uh, all right. Well, hey, listen, I think we've rambled on enough and done enough damage for this one episode. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Big thanks to Dennis. For joining us and we will see everybody next week bye this podcast has been brought to you by canadian assistive technology providing low vision and blindness solutions across canada find us online at www.canastech.com that's c-a-n-a-s-s-t-e-c-h.com or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324 for all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.